0: Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Dr. Gemma Wilkinson, who's a GP in Nottingham and is the clinical lead for the Nottinghamshire GP Phoenix programme, a workforce support organisation that's affiliated to Nottinghamshire LMC. One of the reasons I was keen to talk to Gemma is because the GP Phoenix programme has a range of support initiatives that focus on GP retention at every stage of a doctor's career. So from GP training to newly qualified GPs through to mid-career and also those doctors approaching retirement. On this episode of the podcast, Gemma explains how the programme is aiming to do something to improve retention and what more needs to be done to help stop GPs leaving the profession. Before we get started, I'd just like to highlight that this is the last talking general practice for a few weeks because we're taking a break for the summer. During August, we'll be putting out some of the interviews from the first series of the podcast as standalone episodes for those of you who may have missed them or started listening to the podcast more recently. The ones we've picked cover some really interesting and important topics, which I think are worth showcasing again. I'm delighted to be joined now by Dr Gemma Wilkinson. Gemma is a GP at the Hucknall Road Medical Centre in Nottingham and is the clinical lead for the Nottinghamshire GP Phoenix Programme, a workforce support organisation which is affiliated to Nottinghamshire LMC. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Gemma. Thanks for inviting me. First of all, could you explain a little bit about how the GP Phoenix Programme began and how you became involved in it?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, it is a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? The Nottinghamshire GP Phoenix Programme. So I'll call it the Phoenix Programme from now on. We started pre-pandemic back in early 2019. It was created really, um, it came out of something from our GP leadership team, working together with some senior GP colleagues who recognised that Our workforce really needed some support. There had been some individual initiatives locally, but no real central point of contact for them. So our LMC chief exec from Knotts and some senior GPs Bid for monies to support early career GPs based on some needs they'd identified for that particular group, and we were fortunate to be awarded that money. But there was no vehicle to bring this all together, so that's how the Phoenix program was created. My colleague Helen Shuka, who is the director of the program and works at RLMC, coordinated it from the start, and she really brought everything together. I came in initially as the education lead because I've got a background in medical education uh, to develop some of these first schemes. And gradually,
0: as the senior colleagues stepped back a bit, I took on more of a leadership role. One of the things I find really interesting about your programme is it's got a whole range of initiatives, as you mentioned, that support GPs at every stage of their career. So I thought it might be interesting to look at them each in turn. So one of them is the fellowship programme. Now, this is something that has been mentioned that NHS England wants to see rolled out kind of across the country. This is for newly qualified GPs to work in a, a, as a fellow. But you are a bit further ahead than kind of a lot of areas and you've been doing this for quite a long time. So can you explain what your scheme involves for the gps who take part in it and what you're aiming to do with it
1: yeah sure so this is a national scheme it's run by nhs england so it should be available for for all gps across england who have a substantive post so be that a partner a salaried gp a retainer for their first two years post cct and there is a framework to follow provided by nhs england but you're right, there's definitely some variation in around the country of exactly what's offered. I think in many ways that's quite positive because the scheme can then be tailored to to local needs and adapted. And there's three main areas that the national framework asks us to cover, which is supporter networking, learning and CPD, and then portfolio PCN working. So in Nottinghamshire if I go through those areas, so in support and networking, that would include things like induction materials for anyone starting work. So... For new GP colleagues, it's a bit of a minefield as you start. There's so much administrative things to consider getting on the performance list. Make sure you get an NHS appraisal, your pensions, your taxation, etc. So we've put all the information for that together in one place on our website. And I'm really happy to share that link for anyone listening if they want to access that. Also, part of that support networking would be something like the mentoring And coaching, which is part of that national framework. And that enables people to have up to one hour of mentoring a month from an experienced colleague throughout that whole two years, which is really valuable. And then peer support can be provided in different ways. So in Nottingham, we've got a very active WhatsApp group with lots of people on on there. And then that also overlaps with our learning, because I think in taking part in that learning and group learning, you're also developing that peer group. We have monthly CPD events on non-clinical topics. So things like career development, well-being, time management. And then there are other sort of cpd offers too so we fund and support locally the next generation gp which is a brilliant leadership program for early career gps we collaborate with colleagues in derbyshire to provide an introduction to partnership course for for early career gps have a bit of a taster we recently went to the first five rcgps midlands conference and delivered a workshop so there's plenty of learning on offer and building that peer group and then probably the thing we've done a bit differently in nottinghamshire because as you said we were fortunate to be a little further on is we've had some time really to look at that portfolio pcn working part of the fellowship Now, this was a challenge because the national specification was released in the summer 2020, so right in the middle of you know the first COVID um, wave, really. And it was a a challenge to engage with PCNs at that time when they were so overwhelmed to actively link in and say, "Can you create some opportunities for early career GPs to to develop their portfolio?" So we realised that was going to be a problem, and we worked with a great colleague who helped us to develop some guidance for these early career gps to look at their portfolio how you build a portfolio career and then also importantly we've created a local directory of people who are happy for them to link with and i think that's really important because if you've only got a small amount of fellowship time for two years you don't want to spend six months working out i want to know how to fit coils and I've, I've got to find my own contact and work out the path you just need to be putting in touch with the right person to help you do that as a result of that we've had some great success with our fellows one's developed an interest in palliative care one's become a GP trainer someone's undertaken a diploma in occupational health medicine One fellow has been sitting in on quite senior board meetings to learn about leadership roles. So being able to connect people so they can really make the best use of that portfolio time, really.
0: What's been the reaction to the GPs sort of taking part in the fellowship programme? And do you think this is a better way for GPs to come out into the workforce from training than before? And why is it better?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Yes, I do. I do think it's been positive, (laughs) uh, but I suppose I would say that. In terms of some evidence of that, I've mentioned our WhatsApp group. We've got 90 participants on our WhatsApp group. So it's a great way of keeping connected. Hardly anybody leaves, even when they finish their fellowship, which perhaps we need to look at. It is facilitated by our Phoenix team, but also we get peers answering peers' questions. And so it builds up that sort of level of knowledge and bonding. Our CPD is really well attended and and within the framework, they do suggest certain things that you should cover, but also there's plenty of other time for flexibility. And we ask our fellows, what do you want to know about? The mentoring in particular has had overwhelmingly positive feedback. I think it would have been successful anyway, um, the ability to have somebody independent to your workplace, a senior colleague, a wise ear, someone who's seen that before, and you can talk to about what's been going on. But I think particularly qualifying in the pandemic, that's been so invaluable because you've perhaps lost those connections and that networking. So I think all of those things are really useful. Now, Will mention one bit of evidence. So, we surveyed people to say that the aim of the program is to help smooth that transition from training into independent practice and 96% of our the people who responded said that this fellowship has done that so I think that's a really positive um, message and I suppose I think it's important that we learn the lessons from this early career support because NHS England have put a lot into supporting early career GPs I think there are lessons we can learn and transfer to our other workforce, our wider workforce, the newer roles, our GP nursing colleagues who do have a fellowship, but it's it's a lot more restrictive, the criteria for entry to that. They don't have mentoring as part of that. So I think there's a lot we can learn and embed for the rest of our
0: workforce. One of the other things I want to ask is, are there any benefits of having these fellowship schemes for practices and PCNs in your local area, do you think?
1: I think there they really can be I'm not sure if we're always making the most of those at the moment it's just such a hard time isn't it for employers and for PCNs at the moment there's there's just such a, a lot on their agenda but we know that also on their agenda is recruitment and retention so I think one of the key things is how we get that message across to employers earlier this year we Created some information leaflets and a short video which explain a bit about the fellowship. And again, I'm very happy to share the links to those. One of the things we've noticed is that sometimes there's been a little bit of reluctance for employers to enable fellows to join or newly qualified GPs to join. But there's really no drawback, it's fully reimbursed, there's absolutely no cost to the practice. All colleagues need to do locally is simply submit a monthly recurring invoice that lasts for two years. And you can mention this in your advertising. So you can say, we would support a new to practice fellow. And then any newly qualified doctor looking at that advert will think, well, that, you know, that would be a good place to work. They're going to be really supportive. And as an employer, your employee or might, someone might be joining as a partner, your partner, will get all this additional support, which is provided as part of the fellowship for free. And hopefully that will enable them to thrive at work and enable them to stay working with you longer term.
0: Do you have a GP trainee transition scheme? And how is that different from the fellowship programme?
1: Yes, thanks for asking about this scheme. Um, It's one of my (laughs) favourite schemes. Um, It was one of the initial ones that we developed alongside the New to Practice Fellowship. And I think it's unique to Nottinghamshire as far as we know. So it is different. We work collaboratively with one of our local GP training schemes to provide small group teaching throughout the year to GP trainees. And it complements their existing curriculum, but with an aim to better prepare them for life after qualification.
0: Right. OK, so this runs while they're actually in training. Exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. The, The GP training programmes have they have such a lot to cover in their existing curriculum. But sometimes that means there's a risk of GPs leaving a little unprepared for life after training in terms of some of that practical knowledge. So how do I choose whether I want to be a partner or a salaried GP? What do I need to consider? How is the structure of the NHS changing? How do I negotiate a contract? So those are the types of topics that we cover and yes it really it prepares the trainees but it also helps us as phoenix program because we start to build those relationships with the trainees we can tell them about the fellowship we can tell them how they join and the benefits and with an aim of keeping our gps local so 99 uh, of our trainees who take part in this scheme said that This scheme better prepared them for life after training and 89% of them told us that being connected to us during their training influenced their decision to stay and work locally post-CCT. So that's quite powerful in terms of that local recruitment and retention
0: really. Has it actually noticeably improved kind of retention? Do you think more trainees who did the VTS in Nottingham are staying in Nottingham since you introduced it?
1: Yes, we have found that. And actually, we deliver it to one training scheme there's another area of Nottinghamshire which we um, have connected with but are not offering exactly the same support at the moment and we're in conversation to say actually the trainees taking part in the Nottingham scheme it does seem to influence their joining the New to Practice Fellowship and staying locally and we're trying to get that message out there that actually if other areas, even within our region, to adopt a similar approach, it could be influential for their recruitment and retention.
0: Wow, that's really good news. That's um. That sounds like a really excellent programme. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, and as you've mentioned, the Phoenix programme isn't just about supporting doctors at the start of their careers. You also have a range of programmes aimed at GPs further along, sort of aimed at real retention efforts. Some of those are aimed at mid-career GPs and others are aimed at more senior and experienced GPs. So firstly, what do you offer those who are mid-career?
1: Yeah, that's really true. We recognise that early on. It's great that early career GPs are getting this support, but what about everyone else who didn't get that same support early in their career? And those colleagues are also struggling perhaps, or looking for ways simply to develop their, their own career. So our mid-career GPs Sometimes maybe our forgotten workforce, who arguably are doing a lot of the day-to-day work themselves. How can we support them? In Knotts, we've got two main offers for that group. Firstly, this started in October last year. We developed PCN fellowships, which were offered to all of our 20 PCNs in in the region. And these provide one funded session per week for a mid-career GP to undertake some project work or development work. And the nature of that is mutually decided between the GP and the PCN. I think, importantly, there was some flexibility with this uh, to enable it to fit for all. But the vast majority of those fellows didn't reduce their clinical time. They did this in addition to their clinical work. We're now about three quarters of the way through. I mean, We've had some fantastic projects and achievements. So, a colleague set up a dermatology service for their PCN, and is that's up and running, and they're working in that. Someone was looking at, uh, or more than one fellow actually was looking at, how to improve cancer screening across uh, either the whole PCN or particular patient groups, such as those with learning difficulties. We've had a greener practice initiative, all sorts of things that people have done, um, and we're only three quarters of the way through. As I say. Phoenix have given a lot of support to that as as well. So those GPs meet together in three small groups throughout the year, once a month, we give quite a lot of support and scaffolding around our fellowships. So sessions on how to get started more recently, because they're coming towards an end. How do you start thinking about planning for that end? How do you write this project up? How do you share this project? There's quite intense support for, maybe for quite a select group of individuals in mid-career. And then we also thought, alongside that, we wanted to offer something to a larger group, less intense time commitment. So we teamed up with colleagues in Derbyshire to commission an organisation which is slightly confusingly called Phoenix GP. Um, This is a national organisation. It's a great programme. It's a mid-career leadership development programme, really, And it operates across six evening sessions. You get inspirational speakers. There's some group coaching. There's a session around well-being and then a range of workshops enabling people to lead change. And the feedback from this cohort was so positive. We've had amazing response, really. So Phoenix GP run their own evaluation. But before the course, 72 percent of our participants felt at risk of burnout and then after the course that went down to 18 percent. oh wow so that's I mean it's a huge shift in in sort of people and of course there could be other factors within that but um I think those those figures are quite powerful Um, I can't share the evaluations of our PCN fellowships because we haven't we haven't completed those yet but the progress from the individuals and the feedback from the PCNs has been really positive so far
0: You also do work with senior GPs, GPs son of approaching the end of their career. And I suppose this is the group that lots of people are quite worried about because obviously with burnout high workload um, through the roof at the minute, these are people kind of approaching retirement and a lot of them, statistics show, are choosing to retire early, which is obviously a massive loss to the NHS given that they are such experienced GPs. So what kind of programmes are you working on with that group?
1: Yeah, so again, we wanted to provide this similar model. We wanted to have some group support, which we are developing, um, again, in collaboration with colleagues from Derbyshire. So around financial planning, career planning and that sort of thing at the end, towards the end of the career. But also we wanted to have more bespoke offers for some individuals. And we did interviews with this group actually really early on in the development of the Phoenix programme. One of the key things that came across in these interviews was that they really wanted to give back to colleagues and give back to the system. In some ways, it's been a challenge to know how to get this scheme up and running, because I suppose to look at it really crudely, you mentioned about how we bid for funding. And when we're bidding for funding, often the idea is, you know, is to try and enable people perhaps to delay their retirement, stay in clinical practice a little bit longer, But it's quite hard to measure that and whether interventions like this actually achieve that. So in that case, how do you then justify investing in colleagues who are about to leave or going to leave soon? And perhaps you're only going to prolong their career by a few months or a few years which is also hard to measure. And what about colleagues? We had quite a big group of colleagues who had actually already left. They were no longer working clinically, but they still really wanted to be engaged in primary care and to give back. So our scheme for this was delayed whilst we tried to work out how, to, how we could do this. We think we found an answer and we started that this year. So we've developed some fellowships for senior careers who to use their project time to look directly at workforce issues and potential solutions. So these are incredibly experienced colleagues who've been in the system for many years. They've got all that institutional memory, all that knowledge that we don't want to to lose. And they're working with employers and local federations to look at a range of issues So, for example, one fellow is looking at uh, what support is needed to take over a practice in difficulty and creating a blueprint for the future. So if another practice is in difficulty, a federation can go in um, more straightforwardly and, and help support that practice. Someone else is looking at clinical supervision models working across a group of practices. Another person is looking at developing a model for the salary GP workforce with built in career development and how we support those colleagues. So I think these colleagues have got so much to give back and they can provide real solutions if they're giving the time and the space to do so. And I think that's really important
0: yeah no, that's a really interesting thought of using them in that way, because if they can ke- then enable people younger than them to stay longer, then that's a really valuable use of all that knowledge that they've got. You said it's quite hard to measure these things, but have you got any evidence to show that they're helping maybe with the mid career is it helping with retention or is it just more results from surveys about what they think about things? It is difficult to measure, I think
1: because there's so many factors, and whether directly being on a scheme or a fellowship directly impacts people saying it's really hard to say. We have had some really positive comments from our mid-career GPs, comments such as, I didn't like general practice much before, but now I think I might stay, was one. Um, and you know, those sorts of comments, we've had lots of those that sort of flavor of comments. And the Phoenix GP programme that I mentioned also looks at that those sorts of issues. And, and we could see a shift pre-course and po- to post-course in people's intentions to stay working within the next 10 years. Again, quite powerful um, uh, shift in, in, in people's opinions. Um, our, our actual ones in nottingham the the mid-career fellowship and the senior fellowship that i mentioned we have yet to fully evaluate so we haven't got that data but i think it's so hard to be confident that these work and i think that that's why the qualitative feedback from these about what actually people think and their experiences and comments i think is really valuable to capture
0: One of the other things you you have is you've got this pastoral network and mentoring schemes and other initiatives that are aimed at improving well-being. So that, I'm assuming, is for everybody across the board. I mean, what do those involve
1: so we're really lucky in Notts have this mentoring and coaching service, which is led by GPs for GPs and some other areas of our workforce, um, and it's called GPS. It started in 2015. Um, at that time, a couple of local GPs were, were becoming concerned about GP wellbeing, and they approached Nottinghamshire LMC to ask for some support. Again, a bid was put in for funding, and that's how it all started. And it's a joint venture between Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire. It provides Free support. It's not a crisis service, but perhaps GPs may use this when they have a problem to work through, maybe a career crossroads. And it's been really helpful for GP colleagues for a long time. The idea of it is really it being a sort of early intervention. So some sort of problem, a bit dissatisfied and don't know where to go next. And then uh, GPS has been really helpful. It's evolved and now offers similar support in other areas. Um, and also has been training, been really helpful in training mentors for the niche Practice Fellowship Programme for across regions. And then you mentioned that sort of pastoral network. That runs alongside this service and is retired and senior GPs who volunteer to provide support to GPs who might be having a professional issue or, uh, or a personal issue. So, for example, financial difficulties, relationship difficulties, they might be going through a complaint and need somebody to support them through that process as more as their advocate. And again, that's free.
0: And do you get quite good take up with these programmes? There are quite a lot of people taking advantage of them?
1: Yes, I mean, they've been running since 2015. So we have supported hundreds of GPs over those years across the regions. Um, it's difficult to know the impact that these have. We measure sort of scores about resilience and wellbeing before and after, and they have shown positive changes. But as we've mentioned, it's hard to know the direct impact of one particular intervention, I suppose. I think we also know GPs are often not very good at seeking help. So part of the challenge with those schemes, I think, is getting the message out there and what they are able to do and offer. But yeah, we have had good, good uptake.
0: So one of the things, obviously, you've got like this whole suite of programmes aimed at GPs, as we've been talking about. So if if other parts of the country were looking at introducing programmes to help retain GPs, which sort of areas do you think that they should, would you recommend they focus on, based on your experience in Nottinghamshire?
1: I think I'd start by asking your GPs what they want. Um, that's what we did early on. Um, yeah. I think we sometimes underestimate the impact of being listened to and having that opportunity just to share what's been going on for you being able to express your frustrations um, and then also being given that hope that something then might um, change for you. And, and actually doing that initially doesn't cost very much either. Um, So I think I would listen first, all areas probably are going to have something for early career GPs because of the national initiatives. So Then look at what can you offer to those mid-career or later career GPs. I try to link with other areas actually and see what's worked because there's no point reinventing wheels. I'm certainly really happy to connect with colleagues nationally and have done this over the past year. And there's a lot of good practice out there in other regions with other colleagues who are also happy to share what's worked for them. Phoenix GP, the organisation I mentioned earlier, have a mid-career programme. Is already developed, and you can commission them to bring that to your area. Again, I can send a link for that. Yeah, I think I'd ask ask people what they want, and then look around for what's worked well in other areas and try to bring something similar to you, to your
0: area. Your program, Phoenix GP program, that sort of came out of Nottinghamshire LMC. So, do you think this is this sort of work is something that needs to be driven by LMCs, and they need to push? well, I suppose it's ICSs now, to start commissioning these sorts of programmes to help the workforce?
1: That's an interesting question. So I think in most regions, the training hubs are leading workforce development programmes and schemes. There are some areas, including Nottinghamshire, where the LMC's are also involved. And I think there are some advantages to that because of the lmcs have been established for a long time and have really good working knowledge of the issues with their local practices but i think that that training hubs across the the country including in nottinghamshire are doing a great job as well of, of, of pushing these forward if you're looking for for getting connected with workforce schemes or looking to drive this work speak to your training hub speak to your lmc and see what's already going on i think
0: It's obviously a lot of talk nationally about what needs to happen to recruit and retain more GPs. I mean, retention seems to me to be one of the biggest challenges really. So based on your experience, what are the key things do you think policymakers, you know, both in government and in NHS England should be thinking about in terms of retention?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think retention is the big issue now, isn't it? I think and perhaps you would say I would say that, but I think the support for GPs themselves and other areas of workforce in terms of these types of schemes and the things we've discussed today do really help. And I think NHS England have done a good job actually in developing and coordinating some of these schemes, but on their own, they are not the whole answer. And there are definitely some key issues that policymakers can support with. I think the most important thing they need to do is listen, listen, I think they need to listen to our GP leaders and our grassroots GPs and the rest of our primary care workforce. When I've listened, I think what I can hear is that most of our primary care leaders and organisations are having quite a consistent message. Policymakers need to work with us in general practice and primary care to find solutions that actually many of the solutions we're giving to them. So, There are some quick wins. So they could remove the punitive pension taxation rules, which are leading to senior GPs retiring early or reducing their clinical time. They could address the bureaucracy around sponsorship visas for international medical graduates as they complete GP training. There are also some things that are perhaps a bit harder but can be done. So I think a key thing is about educating the public about being honest with our patients about the challenges we're facing but also the changes that we are making already within our workforce to try to help patients to see a skilled healthcare professional as quickly as possible that might not always be a GP but maybe someone with much better skills to address their needs and I think that NHS England and the government can really help us to get that message out. I think the biggest issue affecting GPs and our other colleagues has got to be workload. I think for a while, it's it's become hard to deliver the care that we actually want to deliver for our patients. And that, of course, then impacts on your job satisfaction and your enjoyment, and that can get lost. So I think we need to find ways to enable GPs and the rest of our workforce to have time to deliver the care that our patients deserve. And that will enable us to rediscover the joy and the purpose in the work. And we all want to stay, but we need to do that before it's too late. Of course, there's no, I don't think it's a magic bullet of how how you do that, but surely some of that is increased investment in primary care. I personally think that some of that is about depoliticising the NHS. I also feel that some of that may be allowing a period of stability without continuous reorganisation. So I think those those things are really important. And I think, you know, we often hear that if general practice fails, the NHS fails. But I think it's also true that if we fail our workforce, we're going to fail our patients because they won't get the care that they need. I don't want to end that question on such a negative note, really, um, because I think there is a lot of good support that's that's there for our workforce and I think we can all give our workforce some support we can smile at someone when we arrive at work in the morning we can say hello we can make them a cup of tea we can say thanks next time we see a healthcare professional because all of those small things will also really help our workforce I think
0: well that's it for this week thanks for listening and thanks so much to Gemma for taking the time to speak with me If you're enjoying our podcast, please do think about giving us a rating or a review. As I mentioned at the start, we've got a week off next week and then we're plundering the archive for August and highlighting some of the key interviews from Series 1 while we have a summer break. We'll be back for Series 3 of the podcast on the 9th of September. Don't forget, you can keep up with all the latest news affecting primary care at gponline.com.